Welcome to Leaders with Ambition, the podcast that delves deep into the careers of some of the UK's most successful leaders working in professional services firms. We aim to discover the secrets behind their success, the challenges they've overcome, and to find out what traits make a successful leader. Welcome to the Leaders with Ambition podcast series. And today I am really delighted to be able to welcome Sarah Draper. She's partner and head of people and culture at Ryder Leviton Bucknell. And she's going to share with us today her career history, highlights and some of the challenges she's faced and also some words of wisdom about how to achieve a partner role in a firm and when in a long fee earning role, which again is is absolutely amazing. Sarah really does believe in DNI and about embedding it in a culture of a firm, which again, I think will come out in this podcast today. And also um, Sarah's mantra is making a difference. So we'll be able to explore that and to see how that comes to life. So welcome, Sarah, and, and over to you to bring your career to life for us. Thanks, Nikki. And I'm obviously delighted to talk to you today. So um, I suppose I've probably had quite an unusual route into HR because it wasn't actually what I what I set out to do. So um, when I went to university, I actually wanted to be a bilingual secretary because I liked business and I liked languages. So I uh, picked an international business degree uh, with a placement year to Spain. Lucky enough that uh, my friend I was out there with from uni, her dad uh, found two jobs for the company he worked for out there, which happened to be Pirelli Tyres. And one was in finance and one was in HR. So I said to her, well, your dad's got the jobs. Which one would you like? And she picked finance. So luckily I got HR and that's how I, I got into HR. I love that. It could have been so different, your career. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine me being an accountant, but you never know. <laughs> I think anyone that knows me well enough would go Sarah and I'm, no. <laughs> well, luckily you chose HR. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did. And then I sort of came back to uni and looked at all the HR modules I could do. And then I sort of faced the challenge because whilst I discovered that's what I wanted to do, I hadn't become CIPD qualified. So coming out of university, I was up against everyone that did a CIPD accredited degree. I had another stroke of luck then when I was interviewing for an HR admin role and they needed to organise a conference at short notice. And I said, that's fine. I know how we can find a venue. So that's how I got my break into to HR because I organised that conference within six weeks. And it's just gone on from there. That's a quick turnaround as well for a conference organising, isn't it? Yeah, I can't say I recommend it in that short time. <laughs> but luckily, I'm very organised and I, I like to plan ahead normally. So That's good. When you started your career in, in HR, was it very quickly that you decided this was the path for you? Did you recognise the, you know, the skill sets that you had or innate in you would fit well into that career? Yeah, I felt for me, I mean, I've always really liked people. I grew up on a farm in the countryside, so I've always been around people um, and sort of in that community piece, which I think attracted me to HR and to helping people. And I suppose, although I've put a label on it in more recent years around, I get up every day because I want to make a difference. I think that's what chimed with me right from the beginning. And it was that ability to help people and, you know, set people up to succeed. And I think being able to do that through HR gave me that window. So I then obviously had to embark on my studies to make sure I actually knew what I was talking about from an academic perspective and did my CIPD for two years. And do you think 
do you think that's essential, Sarah, as well? Do you think you, because, you know, HR is a lot of experience, isn't it, and various situations. Do you think it needs to be backed up with a qualification because of all the, the legalities surrounding some of the decisions you're making? I think it definitely has it, its merits. And I think there's certainly been times where I thought, oh, that's why we learned that as part of our right. CIP. I think mm-hmm. the legal is very valid because I think there is so much law now and one of the things I've always said all through my career is I didn't make the law I'm just here to advise you on how to protect the employees and protect the business but I think if you don't understand that actually in terms of the employee experience and actually making sure you're supporting the business in the right way because for me HR is very much about obviously looking after the business but looking after the employees as well and it's 50-50 yeah so I think it's you've got to have that fundamental understanding right employment law and actually you know how how employment contracts and everything else work and I think that's qualification gave me that really good foundation and the confidence probably for the decisions you're making I think once you've got a some kind of formal qualification behind you yeah uh, so you, you did the conference organizing and then you decided to continue to spread your wings in HR yes yeah I was very lucky really that I was given the opportunity to do that so once once I tick that off the list <laughs> It's very much into an HR administrator's role with them alongside my studies that gave me that that very basic generalist foundation. And I've always followed a generalist pathway because I like the variety that that gives you and the the window into so much into the business. And I think you were telling me as well when you were studying, you were working at the same time and your your organisation skills really came into play then because it was... It was a long old day, work, then study and, and trying to keep all those balls in the air and juggling. Yeah, it was, it was um, you look back and you think, how did I ever do that? But um, I used to go on a Monday to college from 2 till 9 p.m. So I used to go into to London to the office in the morning, work till midday and then head home and go to a local college so I could get home before 10 o'clock in the evening. But then you obviously had to fit in your coursework and everything else around that whilst still working the other four days a week. So it was a challenge. Challenging, yeah. But it, yeah, it's, it's obviously all been worth it now. So I think, Paid you know, that work ethic yeah is is yeah. really important and I think that is essential I think it's interesting when people talk about you know the, the start of their careers and you've already said twice I think um you know I was lucky and it's amazing how hard you have to work to be lucky isn't it yeah <laughs> nothing comes easy and I think I felt very lucky that I found something that I wanted to do and I've really enjoyed and been able to build a really fulfilling career out of but it is hard work there's never a yeah. moment you're sort of sat back and thinking actually this yeah. is all okay <laughs> it's because it's today. employment law but you've got to keep yourself up to date it's evolving yeah. the whole time so there's that constant learning through your career and I think you know you have to to remember that you've always got to learn and evolve yeah we're learning I think the learning piece is is probably one of the reasons why you still love your job as well isn't it and um, so you you worked at Reuters yes and that yeah. was um, obviously a different environment to the professional services world, but you you really enjoyed your time there. Yeah, I loved it. It was a great foundation to my career. I was very lucky. I, I joined a subsidiary of Reuters. I moved into the mainstream Reuters and worked with a European customer service team. But we were a very big team in the UK, having 3,000 employees. So we had all the specialist HR functions right. as well. And I think in terms of some of the things we did there, they were so far ahead, even, you know, looking back today, that it actually just gave you a massive insight into the possibilities of 
the support we could give employees and the business to help them grow from those specialist functions and those market leading things that they were doing back then. Back so early on in your career as well, Sarah, you know, to have that exposure. Yes, yeah. No, I was really lucky and they developed us as HR people. We sort of in a very modern way were HR consultants, but actually we had a lot of training and support around doing that and actually building us to be strong professionals. And I feel that, you know, that was a fantastic foundation for me. Excellent. So what made you want to go into professional services? I suppose all through my career, I've I've liked to challenge. And actually, I felt that I'd worked in the in the Reuters world, I'd learned a lot about sort of financial services, but I fancied a new challenge and the opportunity came up to move to what, well, it no longer exists, but it was Edwards Angel, Harmon Dodge, Kendall Freeman. And it was a small law firm. And I felt that that was a really good opportunity for me to go in and make a difference and actually learn about a new industry and new sort of style of working. Because obviously, in a corporate world, you can tell managers what to do. This is your new performance management process you're going to use it and this is how it works where um you it's really interesting moving to professional services where actually partners own the business and you really have to adapt your style you can't necessarily tell them you've got to take them on a journey and I think that was a really important lesson for me in my career is actually that sort of taking people on a journey and selling them the benefits of why we were doing something rather than the telling style that you can get away with a little bit more in a corporate world. Yeah. And when you started the role, then it was a stand was it a standalone role that you had? I was reporting into the HR director and there was an HR assistant. So there was three of us. We very a lot, quickly, a lot of um, work to do then. <laughs> very quickly merged with a US firm, it was Edwards yeah. Angel and Dodge. So I was back doing something that I had a lot of experience of from Reuters, which was Tupi. Yeah. <laughs> So I was two peeing our business into another business. So rather than bringing people into Reuters. So it was an exciting project, but my love of a challenge, I sort of felt then that I needed to go for my next challenge where I then moved on to another bigger law firm in terms of Mayor Brown. You kept with your US firms? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although Kendall okay, Freeman was very, very English or British, I think, when I joined it. Yeah. But yeah, became okay. very focused. <laughs> What do you think you gained from your role at, at Mayor Brown? What was your big learning curve there? I think one of the biggest pieces I learned from that was actually being HR for the HR team. And that gave me some great management experience because we had a central services team at Reuters. So I had one or two sort of direct reports. And again, being at a small law firm, you didn't get that, that exposure because the teams were small. So I think being able to have a bigger team and actually being able to support the wider HR team from that perspective gave me valuable experience and some of the the things we did at Mayor Brown again were great experiences for me in terms of building my career. Was that when you started having more impact on the DNI agenda as well then because I know it's something that you've thought you've had in your career but when was it you really felt that you had voice and your voice could be heard? I think it, it was probably at Mayor Brown whilst we we had a DNI manager at Mayor Brown I think right. it was something that really struck me as I grew in my HR career and I was talking to more individuals and trying to help them and really sort of broadening my skills out as a mentor and and using some coaching skills. I mean, even in Reuters, I I would say I I had coaching skills in my skill set, which helped. But yeah. I think that going back to making a difference, I could see that, you know, we really weren't setting people up to succeed in terms of 
the opportunities for females, particularly in law yeah. firms, and especially when we were supporting people around maternity and a career progression and getting through to partner, that actually I felt that from a DNI perspective, and also predominantly white and male industries have yeah. come through financial services, law, and then being in real estate and construction, they're, they're predominantly male-dominated industries. They are getting much better over time. I mean, Reuters were very passionate about diversity and inclusion and being the financial services and the journalist side, we had opportunities to do a lot more around right. it there, but I think is still probably ahead even of the real estate construction firms in terms of what they're doing around it. But it was that sort of platform and I think the move to Gerald Eve really gave me that platform as head of HR and then ultimately yeah. HR director. Yeah, so when you made the move, did you move because it was the natural progression for you? You were looking for that progression and that step up and that was an opportunity for you to do that? Yeah, I think I've, I was approached for it and I, I felt like I needed a new challenge. I sort of, I think in in the roles I've done, I I feel like I've made a difference and then I feel like, okay, I've done as much as I can here now. I need a new challenge. I need to go and try and make a difference somewhere else. So I'm looking for my next blank page to go and actually really build out um, the HR piece, the DNI piece, the learning and development piece, and really set up the foundations to make a difference. Yeah, that's great. And so when you went into your new firm, was it almost you having to do a, a restructuring in L&D, D&I, HR, was it, um, you know, were you given the remit to almost recreate and, and then build this really high profile and um, solid base for the company to grow on? Yeah, I think that's very much it. sort of a Gerald Eve, it was going in and building the foundations and actually, yeah. and it's similar to what's attracted me to move, move on again to, to ride Love It Bucknell was, it's you know setting those foundations so that actually we've got that the right culture and the right behaviors and the right practices in place about you know when we're we're attracting people in and you know linking in with the schools actually we, we're creating a culture within the business that we're selling to yeah. the school children about coming to work in these places as well because we can all sell a dream but actually we've got to make sure that dream's reality when we bring them into it and I think that's really important that it's a sort of two-pronged approach of working with the schools to open up the industries, but also working within the business to create that culture for those already in the business and make sure there's the, the breadth of opportunity for them. Yeah. But there was obviously an appetite for that to happen as well, you know, for you to be brought in to do that. So you must have felt that you were going to get listened to and be able to make a difference there as well. Yeah, and that really struck me that actually people mattered. There are people, Gerald Eve has a lovely culture. And it was a people-focused business. So I could see that there would be huge opportunity to really make a difference there and, and really bring DNI into focus around what we were doing and possibly an opportunity to lead the way and be an employer of choice. Yeah. And actually, well. You won an award, didn't you, when you were there? I've, I've been shortlisted. Yeah. The, well, we, we won Employer of the Year in 2018. And then I've been shortlisted for an award that unfortunately hasn't happened specifically around diversity and inclusion, but um, oh, I still have told. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very flattering to be recognised. Yeah, it's great. You must have been just so proud, one, to, you know, for, for the company to win the award and obviously for you to be recognised as well must bring with you a great sense of, of um, satisfaction because it's something that you really passionately believe in and care about. It's not a tick box for you, is it at all? 
No, and that's obviously, and that's something I've always said. There's nothing about what we do is, is about tick box. It's about genuinely making a difference. And I've recently said to our DNI community at Ride Love at Bucknell, this is, this is a marathon, not a sprint. We might have a few yeah. sprints in there, but it's a marathon because actually we need to set everything up properly to really make that that lasting change and that lasting difference. And yeah. I think, you know, one of the things probably people in HR generally aren't that great at is we're so busy doing that you don't actually stop to reflect and realise what you've achieved. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, particularly in the last 18 months, it's been very busy, but actually having that change in role has enabled me to see, you know, that I made a difference and got yeah. some satisfaction and recognition in what, what I have done. Yeah, well, that, I think that leads us quite nicely into your present role. And, you know, when you started your HR career, did you think I am going to make it to partner, head of people and culture? And, you know, this is my now my path. Or has it been one of those careers where actually you've just worked so hard and you've been recognised and then given the next opportunity and you've grasped those opportunities? I think, you know, I think you've definitely done that. And has it been, which, which career path has it been that you've followed? <laughs> And uh, it's been very much the first one. So obviously not really discovering HR, HR until my third and fourth year at university and then deciding what it was I wanted to do. You know, I had aspirations to get to HR manager. I never dreamt that I would be doing what I do today. Yeah. And I think I have learned a lot over about myself over the last 20 odd years I've been working. And I think that hard work that drive to make a difference and that, you know, wanting to do the best you can for other people. I've been very lucky that's been recognised and I've been able to progress and go on to make a bigger difference because, you know, yeah. once you get to the, the HR director role, that gives you the ability to make yeah. a bigger difference to the whole organisation. And Yeah, I've really appreciated that. But I think it's that sort of that hard work and that just building those relationships and those the trust that actually you can make a difference that's been really key. But there has to be a lot of trust in your role, doesn't there? And, you know, you have to build trust quickly with people because you are dealing with people. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, a lot of the decisions that are made about companies and, and individuals, I'm sure are run past you because I know I do that with, with my HR um, team as well. So when you've been building those relationships, I'm sure you've got a lot of sense of satisfaction has there been highlights in your career around that around you know the trust the building around the organizations the firms that you've worked in yeah I think there's there's some real sort of moments that you take and you know I pride myself on building strong relationships and I probably didn't realize how strong that skill set was in me until the last 18 months where I've um you know I joined Ryder Lovett Bucknell in April 2020 in lockdown it's amazing isn't it yeah <laughs> so I've only after about 14 or 15 months finally met my whole team because they were spread around the country wow. and I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable that they had to come in the office just to see that I did actually have legs floating <laughs> 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 head so, <laughs> yeah. my head and shoulders it's been a great experience but I've obviously led the business through quite a lot of change already through quite a few difficult circumstances that um, had come up during COVID. We were all sort of finding our way. There was no playbook for how to manage a pandemic. Um, we were working it out between us. And I feel it just creates this lovely warm feeling in me that they have been trusted yeah. and been really built some really great relationships across the business at all levels remotely. 
Yeah. Pre-COVID, you wouldn't have even thought it was possible, particularly in your sort of line of work where face-to-face contact has always historically been so essential, hasn't it, to build trust and relationships. So yeah. a big well done to you for achieving that in a, in a new firm. How have you managed to support the company, the firm and yourself during the last 18 months? Because, you know, we, we hear more and more about the pressures going on to professionals, particularly HR professionals, because you have been the people that we've all come to to say, what do we do? And what does furlough yeah. mean at the start? But how are you protecting people's general health and well-being? We've, I mean, we've done a huge amount well-being so what we've done across the business so we've got a well-being community so rather than working groups or steering groups we we call them communities within RLB we've got a diversity and inclusion community we've got a social community so we're working with all of those we've done toolkits before about I think the week before I joined they started doing weekly webinars so the CEO did a webinar for 16 weeks every week Soon after I joined, I was a regular feature on that as well. And in that, we talked about well-being and diversity inclusion every week. So it was really on on the radar and and people felt that it was something they could talk about. They could talk about their mental health. We had all the support around to help that. We introduced some well-being training. Right. Some webinars. We did a winter well-being webinar. So it was sort of training the managers. We've got webinars for employees that we've now built into our induction. So there's a number of things to just creating the culture and RLB has this lovely people-centric culture as well. It's really a a people-first organisation. So we did things like the CEO, Andy and I did virtual coffees with peer groups across the business, really sort of checking in what was working for them, what wasn't. And on the back of that and a few other things, it probably would have taken us a few years in the normal world. But in October, we rolled out Agile Working with core hours and we've looked at actually what we can learn from all of this so we we do all sorts of things from a, a dni because i think dni and well-being are so integrated and sometimes we're doing you know introducing flexible working from day one so that people haven't got to worry about what do i do for 26 weeks or have i got to have an awkward conversation in my interview about wanting to work flexibly and just trying to put employees first really and just make sure everything yeah. is about helping people in that open and supportive culture. What do you think is going to be you know, the next big concentration that we're going to have to have in your world for, for firms and for people? Do you think once things get back to normal, we're going to see people wanting to have more of an agile working culture, which seems to be the case, doesn't it? But what, what do you think is going to be needed to, to get firms back up and running in a really structured but still agile way I think one of the biggest challenges we face and I don't really have the answer is around actually because we've implemented agile working in core hours we've now got those sort of the workforce that wants to come into the office and they're there and then the workforce that are still a bit nervous or would rather be at home more and when we're trying to have meetings it's very noticeable that when you've got some people in the office and some people at home, the meetings don't flow the same way they did when everybody was on yeah. a Teams because you've got conversations. So actually, that really worries me from a, an inclusive point of view of actually how do we give everyone a voice? How do we actually not create another level of sort of damage to career progression almost through yeah. that? Well, they're in the office, they're not. 
because we've all proved that businesses can perform very well working completely remotely. So actually, what can we learn from that? And how do we evolve that into an inclusive way of working going forward? And I think the the other biggest challenge we face is none of us have come up with this water cooler replacement piece yeah yeah the and the sort of informal chats and the informal learning especially for for graduates and talking to to other HR directors some people are going down the route of the graduates must be in the office set days to make sure they're learning but you've got to make sure everyone else is in for them to learn from otherwise it's so I think there's going to be a big challenge around how do we give everyone the flexibility that they want? How do we give them the empowerment to choose how they work, but actually ensure that we're learning and growing as a business and collaborating and, you know, we're all service businesses providing a great service to our clients. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, we've got quite a few trainees that have started working for us at the moment as well. And it's a similar thing that, you know, we really are encouraging them to be in the office because I do believe that's how you learn from the conversations, particularly for a lot of newer graduates that have been working, learning from home for the last 18 months as well, and maybe haven't had the opportunity to do the work experiences that they would have done. So some mm-hmm. of them are entering a more corporate professional workplace environment for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's even learning about to wear and how yeah. to communicate effectively, all that sort of stuff that people would have picked up on. So I think you've made a really good point there that, you know, it will be um, something that needs to continue to be talked about. And I also mm-hmm. think your point around that inclusivity for career progression for people that maybe do feel not as comfortable traveling into the office is going to be a a hurdle that we need to be more aware of I don't know if you've got a vaccine policy in place yet for the office whereby you know if people aren't vaccinated then then maybe push back from other people in the office environment that are wanting them to to come in there's all that to consider isn't there yeah there's a huge amount around that and it seems to be quite divided so I think today is actually the day that most people under 30 could actually have their second vaccination because yeah. of, it's only eight weeks ago they were had the opportunity to have their first one. So I very much resisted the fact that we implement that or anything like that now. It's very much, it should it be something we're thinking about. How do we give people comfort? But how do we not exclude anyone from the office in that process? Because when we look at who who is coming into the office, it tends to be those under 30 that want to come in and learn or perhaps don't have the right setup at home. So we don't want to alienate them from a space that's actually helpful for their well-being. So there's there's so many different elements to it. So we have asked people to let us know if they're double vaccinated and they're happy to share in the hope that we can give comfort to people and say, oh, 70% of the people in the office today are double vaccinated. You know, we might look at doing tests before you come into the office or perhaps asking people that aren't double vaccinated to wear masks but at the moment it's very much we're encouraging people to come back in and and see it but we haven't fully rolled out our agile working policy because we've remained with our social distancing stickers in the office that level of comfort yeah well I think a lot of firms are looking at September the 6th aren't they I think they're saying September the 6th to roll out any more formal based policies and encouraging people to come into work over the summer months when it tends to be quieter on public transport anyway I mean I I was in the office on Monday which is the first time on a Monday since pre-COVID and it was so quiet 
you know, I even though I've been coming in on, and it's quiet so on most days, I thought, gosh, Mondays are definitely a working from home day, I think. Yes. We <laughs> Without uh, a doubt, from desk yeah. bookings, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the most popular <laughs> day. <laughs> uh, so it'd be interesting to see, as you say, as, as it pans out, as more and more people have been or had the choice to be double vaccinated. Um, yeah see what people feel how people feel comfortable and there is still going to be booster shots that people are going to need to have isn't there the flu jab and there's lots of things still to come out that that I'm sure you'll be getting heavily involved in in conversations with the partnership group yeah and we've committed to you know we'll review things at the end of August and I think that's the challenge even school holidays have been more challenging because holiday camps can't run like aren't running so I think we've seen that you know, much quieter six or eight week spell in the summer as well, because hopefully people are, and we are seeing more people take their holiday as well, because people haven't yeah. been taking their holiday, hoping for their sunshine break. And the English yeah. summer's not been it's the best. Been very good this year. There's also, I think, you, I think you're right. It's about encouraging people to take breaks as well, isn't it? Because there's a lot of you know tired, stressed people out there. And you know, to your point about you know health and well-being, you do have to take breaks, regular breaks when you're any sort of role and I think as you say more and more people have been pushing back holidays this year waiting 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 and it's not good for you to do have a break so hopefully people will feel more comfortable now and I've tried to follow what I normally do and space my holiday you can have you you've role modeled to other people through the year you have to role model your behavior (laughs) (laughs) I have to practice what I preach yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so talk to you, what, what would you look back on your career highlights it seems that there's been actually quite a few even from very when you very first started in the career your HR career um to promote it to partner and also all the bits on the way but what would you look at and go yes that's those are the bits that I look back on and think wow I think sort of through my career there's some individual conversations I've had with people and some people I've really helped and I think there's a couple of examples where I had a conversation with someone previous firm where um they said to me well you've made this such a great place to work why would I want to work anywhere else and it's a bit like that sort of lump in right. the throat moment yeah. and you think, this is why I get up every day and for yeah. someone to sort of say that to you unprompted was really special obviously winning a, a, an industry award for yeah. a contribution towards that and actually I think that's one of the things that I would say to people I think we're so busy doing that actually we don't sometimes stop to appreciate what we've achieved and I think winning that award in some ways made me realize that actually I'm good at my job (laughs) and I think you're you're so busy just doing that you don't always stop to reflect on that or you get stuff with things you might not have got quite right and what you can learn from rather than actually enjoying the things where you really have made that difference and I think for me more recently you know, having not met my team and it's just really empowering them to ensure that they're growing and developing and having fulfilling roles and restructuring the team and growing the business. And actually, I've really enjoyed seeing them flourish in their roles and their their responsibilities and realising that they can be a mum and have a career and and have a fulfilling job and it it is possible. And I think that to me, that just gives me a huge sense of fulfilment. Oh, that's great. It's good that your highlights are around the people as well, which is really <laughs> lovely to say. Yeah. And what about challenges for you then? The main challenges where you think it's helped either with a steep learning curve for you or just made you recognise that maybe you want to do things differently in, an, in a firm? 
I think there's always a number of things that's always easier to come up with those examples <laughs> than the, what have you done well but I think the thing I've learned I think and I would say to to anyone else is we're very good as females and it's a huge generalization there but putting up our own barriers yeah and reason why we can't do the next thing or get to the, the next level or or take that on I think actually just stopping and reflecting on actually sometimes those barriers aren't even there one of my things I was really hung up on was that I hated public speaking and I'm very grateful to the senior partner in Geraldine who said to me at one part in a conference okay you're coming up on the stage too and I was dreading it but actually that's just got me over that fear so when I joined RLB and they said you're coming on the webinar I had sweaty palms the first week because yeah. everyone the firm knows who I am but I'm still <laughs> meet them all but actually I was able to do it and you know I'm really grateful for that and I think it is sometimes having that someone else champion you and spot that in you I feel very lucky that he did that and and helped me and I think it's making sure that we we are supporting everyone around especially women because it's far easier for me to spot another female <laughs> having the same doubts perhaps that I've had and actually make sure that I'm pulling them up with me and supporting them there's mm. no good thing to the top if there's no one behind me to come and and take over from me and that's, that's something that people forget yeah that empowering of people around you and particularly females who as you say there's a lot of imposter syndrome still still out there in in our world in our female world and if you've got a sponsor which more often than not is probably a male sponsor particularly in the industry that you're in where it's a lot of male dominated but to have a sponsor like you've had to help you and then you want to pay it forward don't you which I think is really important to yeah yeah fantastic and words of wisdom so what about you yeah Sarah 20 years ago when she was at university starting off to Sarah now what are your words of wisdom Well, I think it's probably even going back to school. So at school, I love languages and business. I'm not particularly academic. I've always been very open about that in my career. I did a GMVQ and I followed what I wanted to do. I did a business GMVQ and I did Spanish. And then I went to university because a sensible combination was to be a bilingual secretary. But I think, you know, you don't need to have A-levels. You don't need to go to a red brick university to be successful. I think there's a combination of hard work, common sense, and actually just, yeah. you know, using the skills you have got and doing, and when you do something you love, I think it's, it, it's much easier. But I think the relationship skills for me have really helped me through my career. And I probably learned those on the farm <laughs> or yeah. going to shows or something crazy like that. But I think it's just, you know, if you want it, anyone can go and get it. And I think you've just got to work hard at, at what you want. And hopefully everyone can be as lucky as me and it, it happens. But I think, yeah, I think, Sometimes if you set yourself out and go, that's where I want to go, it's too big a step. Yeah. Just making the the most of the opportunities and learning from what you've got in front of you and the role you're doing now, perhaps being too fixated on the role ahead of you, because actually yeah. that will come from my experience. That's really good advice. I think, you know, quite often people are, as you say, looking at the next role, next role. But if you to concentrate on doing your job very, very well, where you're learning a lot, you're going to get recognised and you're going to be offered opportunities and you are building very strong relationships with people around you. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, completely stands out with you is your relationship building throughout your career. And, you know, even hearing people say to you, why would I want to work anywhere else? You've made this an amazing place to work. I mean, that's 
most people dream of someone saying that to them you know it's fantastic isn't it you're you're making a difference you've set out to make a difference and you've made a difference I think is must be one of your highlights yeah no absolutely and I I think the thing is you know I'm not done yet unfortunately with the retirement age ever increasing I've still got a long time to work so you know I really want to make sure that I learn from everything I have learned the good bits the bad bits and I can continue to make that difference and I think it's remembering however senior you are you can always learn something every day and share that knowledge with others and I think that's really important that's great super well thank you so much for your time today Sarah there's lots of takeaways from the conversation and uh, you know I really do think you have uh, made a difference with DNI in the firms that you've worked for you've really embedded it in the culture and you know great to see that you are living and breathing those values yourself as well for your for your teams but thank you for your time today thank you very much it's lovely to talk to you thank you